right? Uh, yeah, I'm Pastor Karen. Um, never asked anybody to call me that, but that's kind of what happens when you're in ministry for over 13 years. Um, I've been overseeing women's ministry, um, and I just want to put a little plug out there if you're a woman. Okay, sorry, guys. Uh, at 13 and older, you're invited to any and uh, all of our events, so um, just stay posted. We try to do some events, um, knowing that Thursday morning doesn't work for everybody, but that's one of our main things, but um, check out our website to see what's coming up. But now, I'm, I've been doing a lot of speaking this month. It's been a great um, opportunity, but I have to say, this is always one of my favorite gigs, so I'm really happy to be here with you tonight. I'm going to have to really, I feel like a sprinkler, like I have to keep going back and forth. I don't want my back to anybody, but um, but thank you, Pastor Jake, for inviting me. Um, I think Easter, in my experience has probably been one of the most life-changing experiences. I come out of a Lutheran tradition. Anybody else? Nope. Okay, crickets. Um, and uh, this week, we celebrated to the max. And today, we would uh, call Monday Thursday. And when I was a kid, I thought it was Monday Thursday. Why would we call it Monday and Thursday? But Monday Thursday is typically when we celebrate when Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal. Jesus was crucified during Passover, very significant. The Passover was a celebration of when the death angel passed over the children uh, of Israel when they were still slaves, and not one of them died because of one thing, blood. Blood of a lamb painted on the doorpost of their house. The death angel could not pass the blood. I submit to you tonight, we're going to be talking about blood. And we're going to be calling, going to the cross. And this one is real pristine and white, and that's okay. But I guarantee you, the cross was messy. It was filthy dirty. It was full of blood. It was full of guilty men's blood. And it was also overflowing with Jesus' blood. Speaking about Jesus' death, the finished work that he completed on the cross, and of course his resurrection. See, if we don't talk about the resurrection, it's not a complete story. But I do want to go to the cross tonight and, and come uh, bring out certain things that I think will help us to really reveal what a master plan it really was. And when that master plan actually started and why it had become and has become the most important, most pivotal moment in all of history because it changed everything. And if Jesus had not died, we'd still be stuck in our sin. There would be a disconnect between God and us. We would no longer have restored relationship. And God set up a temporary system because he would never, ever want to be separated from us as his children, as, as his people. You know, he created us, he loved us, but there was a sin issue that he had to take care of. And for centuries it was taken care of by the blood of an animal right but he was uh but uh, the lamb was one of the many sacrifices and let me just tell you there's so many parallels um 
between what the Old Testament tells us about what was going to happen. Isn't it amazing that we see um, the complete picture of salvation thousands of years before it happened? It was prophesied, foretold. And in Revelation, we find out, in the book of Revelations, it says that Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle. Nobody uses those words anymore, right? But everything that was uh, predicted prophesied was completed. You know, God always finishes everything he starts. And so we're going to go through what does the finished work look like. And I think about Jesus going to the garden to pray. You know, he had just celebrated, and that would have happened tonight. He had just celebrated what we call the Last Supper. What's interesting about talking about Easter and the Easter story is that we have to be really careful that we don't get cliché. Because it's a very familiar story, and if we allow it to be ordinary, we will miss the absolute, supernatural, extraordinary thing that God accomplished through Jesus. And so here we go to the garden. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. I, I was almost was going to say throw him under the bus, but that would be too mild. But he knew that Judas was going to do this. Jesus knew what kind of suffering was ahead of him. And here he is celebrating the last time with his disciples before he's going to begin that journey to the cross. And he goes to the garden to pray. You know what is amazing is that Jesus did not have to do this. He chose it every step of the way. And what we find is, is that here's Jesus in the garden, and he needs some help. He understands that the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And uh, I don't know if you've ever felt pressure in your life, but can you imagine the pressure that Jesus, yeah, he was God. He was the son of God. But before he came, he had to lay aside all advantages of being God. So now he's crying out to the heavenly father. He says, I don't know if I have the strength to do this. I'll do it, God, but is there any other way? And can you just imagine God the Father just sh sadly shaking his head and saying, no, son, I'm sorry, but you're the only one. If you don't do it, nobody can. And Jesus consented, and he says, okay, I'm in. I'll do it. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And shortly after that, um, it actually says that angels came and ministered to him and strengthened him. Jesus needed that kind of help to go through what he was about to do. Soldiers came. Pastor did a good job on Sunday talking about this part of the story. And isn't it amazing they came armed as if Jesus was dangerous? But he had slipped through the Pharisees' uh, fingers many a time. They, they wanted to kill him more than once. I mean, this plan had been, you know, uh, going on and on. And so they decided, I don't know what we, I know what we'll do. We'll just bring lots of soldiers and weapons and all that stuff so that we can make sure that we really get him this time. But I just love it because, you know, soldiers show up, Judas the betrayer leading the band, you know, and... Um, Jesus comes to them. He is not afraid. He is strengthened. He is ready to go to the cross. He is single-mindedly focused on the task that he has. It is direct orders from heaven. And he's, he's in 100%. And it's like I just picture Jesus saying, 
who, who are you looking for? And he's almost like, I mean, can we just get going here? You know, here I am. Let's get moving. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And all he said was, I am. In the Greek, it says, I am. I think we add a few words in there when it gets translated. But he basically spoke the same I am, released the power of heaven. In fact, it's the same power that was released when Jesus spoke to the wind of the waves. And he literally said, I am. And the wind of the waves obeyed him. And this time, every person standing there that was uh, there to arrest Jesus, it, they fell backwards. And Rick Renner in um, Sparkling Gems says that the Greek words used there is a picture of pre, uh, thinking about if you threw a grenade in the middle of a crowd, everybody would just fall flat on their back. And that's what happened at the power of the great I am. What's amazing is that at one point during Jesus, the process that we're going to quickly go through uh, of getting to the cross, which was his main goal, um, at one point he just stopped talking because all he had to do was call le uh, for help and legions of angels would have rescued him. He didn't want to be rescued. He wanted to die. And so that was his mission. He was single-mindedly focused on completing the task of saving the entire human race, not only just in the present, but he was going to become sin for the past, the present, and the future. And aren't you glad it was the future? Because that's you and I. And so it was a very complete plan. I find it interesting that the people who wanted him dead were the very people that Jesus came to save. But they were church leaders. Church leaders are not perfect. <laughs> and we know from reading scripture, Pharisees were just plain old jealous. What a dangerous thing to allow jealousy to turn into really hatred. And they basically murdered an innocent man. And they tried Jesus in their own court. And they broke all of their own rules because they had rules like uh, Jewish people cannot be tried after sunset. Well, this went on all night long. And then they said, you have to have two or three witnesses to convict. They couldn't get their witnesses to agree, so they really didn't have any evidence against Jesus at all. So they didn't want to, but they didn't really want to convict Jesus in their own courts because Hebrews, Jewish uh, people and leaders of those days, their corporal or capital punishment was only to stone people. Now, we know Jesus was not stoned to death, right? But they decided they're going to do the most shameful, painful, agonizing death. They're going to get Jesus. They hated him. And that's why they took him to the Roman courts. The Romans were um, in uh, rulership over the Jews. It wasn't a good relationship. Somehow, um, I believe just such a demonic influence that the Romans were great at torturing people. They didn't just want to kill you. They wanted to uh, torture and try and draw out this painful, agonizing death. You know, I mean, give me a break. Driving nails through hands and feet. I mean, who thinks of that? I just say that's just demonic to the core. 
And so they did not want Jesus to just merely be stoned to death. And so now Jesus was being tried in a Roman court. And we, we know we could go through, there was so much going on, back and forth, back and forth. And it was just a sham. There was no evidence to, uh, to convict Jesus. But here they are looking for a way to kill Jesus. Murder in their hearts, murder in their minds. And Pilate, one of the Roman rulers, finally said, I don't even know what he did wrong. And he tried talking to Jesus, and Jesus would talk back. But then about this time, Jesus just stopped talking. He didn't want to be saved. He didn't want to be rescued. He wanted to go to the cross. And Pilate realized that the Jewish leaders just hated him. And so he tried to get their sympathy for him by beating Jesus. Now, we often hear about, you know, the, the Hebrews or the Jewish flogging or scourging um, was always a certain number. And, and I should have done my homework. 39 or 49, anybody know? How many lashes? 39, thank you. I've said 49 before, and now it's like every time I get there, I kind of panic. Wait, what, 39 or 49? Okay, 39 lashes was a Jewish scourging. I think you and I would probably not survive, quite honestly. It was very brutal. But this wasn't a Hebrew Jewish scourging. This was a Roman. I'm not sure they counted. I don't think I find anything historically to say, oh, yes, they had X number of times. Jesus, this was like a bonus punishment. This was not the norm for people being crucified. And, and I don't, it must not have taken much to be crucified because, you know, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. I mean, I hope you haven't stolen anything, but if you were back in those days, you might have been crucified for it. So, I mean, that's just the cruelty of this, uh, the Romans. But here we are. They decide, uh, Pilate says, here's your king. And the people say, crucify him. And, you know, the devil had worked the crowd worked the crowd against them, and the Jewish uh, leaders were out there, you know, saying, well, we hate this man. You should hate this man. And, the, and so they were all in, uh, in unison shouting, crucify him. He's not our king. And these were the same people who just one week before, you know, we just celebrated Palm Sunday. They were shouting Hosanna to the king. How quickly things can change when hatred gets involved. Have we not seen a little bit of that in our society today? God help us. So here we are. Jesus could have died in the flogging, in the scourging, but he knew he had to get to the cross. But because of the stripes on his back, we find in Isaiah 53, it's for our healing. It was a bonus for us. It was a horrific thing that Jesus went through. But here we are. Jesus has been convicted, an innocent man, but going to the cross. And let me just say, Jesus hung on the cross. He was nailed to the cross at 9 in the morning, and he hung there till 3 in the afternoon. And then he released his life. But can I also tell you that in the tradition 
of sacrifices that were temporarily covering men's sin before the final sacrifice came. Sacrifices were offered in the temple at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. Jesus, the Lamb of God, became the final sacrifice. Sacrifices had to be offered year after year after year because it was just a temporary fix because God would not, could not tolerate sin separating him from his people. But every year there's a reminder of sin. It never was completely taken care of. It had to be done year after year. But here's Jesus, the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God shedding his blood once and for all. And if we could have seen in the spiritual realm what was happening while Jesus hung on the cross, you would have seen the fire from heaven, God's anger. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, I, I many times stopped and said, God, you're not helping your cause when we see how angry you were, how he punished, how people died. And I'm saying, God, you've asked of me. At one point, I remember hearing the Holy Spirit saying, Karen, will you defend the honor of my name? I said, yes, sir, I will. People who think that God is mad at them, I said, God, you're not helping your cause because if you just stick to the Old Testament, they might think, yeah, you're really mad. But I heard the Holy Spirit sweetly say, he says, Karen, he says, don't misunderstand. That was what I had to be. In the Old Testament, he had to be that judging God because sin has to be punished. But it shows us what we have been saved from because God is no longer punishing sin because sin was punished on Jesus. And I'm going to probably say this more than once because everything that we deserved, God put on Jesus. And everything Jesus deserved, God has put on us. Man, that doesn't, that's not fair. It wasn't fair to Jesus. It's too good to be true good news, but it is true. And so we get to, to live in what I like to call the finished work I think a couple of points about what happened while Jesus was on the cross. We know he spoke out, and it's recorded in the Gospels. But there was one point where God, uh, Jesus cried out, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the word forsaken is that God had turned his back on Jesus. At that moment, I believe that Jesus became sin. And we find that scripture that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin. He became sin that we might be or be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God put everything on Jesus that we deserved and get, put everything on us. Did I say that wrong? Let me start over. <laughs> God put everything on Jesus that we deserved, which was punishment, and put everything on us that we don't deserve. But we can receive that because at that point, Jesus had never spoken about his heavenly father and addressed him as God. Check it out. In the Gospels, he always says, my heavenly father, my heavenly father, 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 father. Speaks of relationship, doesn't it? 
But at that moment, relationship was broken, and God had to. He was forced to turn his back on his only son and break relationship because at that moment, Jesus was sin. He was my sin. He was your sin. He was the sin of all the past, the present, and the future. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And though Jesus suffered, uh, um, I just atrocities, the, the pain and agony of the, the physical uh, pain that he must have been going through, I believe this was probably the most agonizing moment because he had never once been separated from his heavenly father. He was the son, and he was crying out to God. And then we find out as this uh, crucifixion progresses, the, the anger, the judgment, the punishment that we deserved was now on Jesus, and he took it for you. It would be like someone going to the electric chair for you, because, but you murdered somebody. You were guilty, and God, uh, Jesus said, I'll go in your place. You live, I'll die. I'll die so you can live. It was an, that's why I call it the most pivotal, amazing, most life-changing moment that we see this happening on the cross. And then when it was done, we hear Jesus saying, Father, we're back to Father. Sin was already taken care of. Jesus uh, reaches out again. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we often hear the word say, it is finished. I have this giant so I should bring it, a giant sign my kids bought for me because they know how much the power of those words mean to me. But really, in Aramaic, what Jesus simply said was, finished, not it is. He said, finished. He made it. He completed it. And I love this part. In the Greek, it says that Jesus looked up, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He released his spirit and then he died. No one took his life from him. He didn't die until it was finished. He didn't die until he was done. He didn't die until he was ready. And he completed what he went to accomplish. The finished work changes everything, ladies and gentlemen. It really does. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read that. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs crucified on a tree. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of the one Adam... Death reigns through the one Adam. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You kind of have to decipher that a little bit. We've got Adam. Thank you, Adam, for sinning and making the whole uh, human race fall into sin. You know, don't you want to talk to Adam and Eve? They, they, they were, yeah, sin couple. They, they did it. Uh, <laughs> 
I heard just, I, I said that so many times. I recently heard somebody who has a little bit more grace for that say, uh, yeah, well, if they hadn't done it, somebody would have. And that's probably true. You know? But anyway, <laughs> sin had come into the world through a man, the one man, Adam, but sin was eradicated by another man, Jesus, because he came in the flesh. It is a free gift to be received because Christ's obedience is our righteousness. That's what we don't deserve. That's what we don't deserve, but he has made us righteous, which means right standing. And you know how hard it is for me not to stop here and, and talk for another half an hour because our new identity is found in Christ because he gives us that right standing. You're no longer, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you righteous. And that's only because it's a gift of righteousness. It, it was accomplished for us at the cross, but it needs to be received. And now that Jesus has completed it, the punishment that we deserved, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to just say a very loud period right there because some versions will add in italics. You know what that means, right? The letters go this way. They were added kind of as uh, not found in the original text. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to go there. It says, some versions say, for those who walk according to the Spirit. Well, if you're in Christ, that is true of us. But some people would take that to say, only if you're being obedient, then there's no condemnation. But what's amazing about what Jesus did on the cross is that he gave us a new identity. So even when we sin, we are still in a position of righteousness. And let that empower you to go and sin no more, not to go and sin some more. What did Jesus say to the woman uh, who was guilty of adultery? He said, I don't condemn you. He was uh, already living and, and demonstrating what he was about to accomplish at the cross. And he offered her the gift of no condemnation, even though he hadn't shed his blood for it yet. But he was demonstrating the gift of no condemnation. And then he says, go and sin no more. We are empowered to go and sin no more. Do we have the ability to sin? Yeah. Did Adam and Eve in a perfect world uh, have the ability to sin? Yeah. Don't you wish we didn't have the choice? But we do. But let's choose because of what Jesus has done for us. Why would I want to spit in the face of what he's done for me? You know, it empowers me. Not only, it's not do good, it's allow God to transform you from the inside out, and you'll find yourself with new desires. You'll find yourself empowered. Break the power of addiction by saying, I'm going to claim my righteousness. I don't feel very righteous when I'm doing this thing. It doesn't make me feel good about myself but I feel like I'm caught in its power. I will tell you this, the power of understanding what Jesus has done for you will break the power of that addiction because you will become a new person. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's only because of Christ Jesus it's not being good enough. It's because he is good enough. It's his obedience, not my obedience, that makes us righteous, but it, it, it compels me to be repelled from sin and my desires begin to line up with his desires. Condemnation screams unworthiness at you. 
Condemnation points to your sin. The blood of Christ points to God's forgiveness and mercy. Condemnation makes you aware of your failure and weakness. The blood of Christ makes you aware of God's grace and mercy. Condemnation highlights your inability. The blood of Christ frees you to walk in his ability and power. Can you say amen to that? What a gift. Grace is, not, is given not because we're so good, but because God is so good, and he loves us that much. God promised that he would be merciful to our unrighteousness and our sins he would remember no more. No more were sins being covered year after year after year. Now they've been completely washed away. They're gone they're gone, and if you keep remembering a past sin, keep remembering a past sin, guess what? God's not reminding you of that. He says, you did what? Uh, as far as the east is from the west, that's where that sin went, and I will remember it no more. That's the new covenant. Again, almost too good to be true good news, but it is true. <sighs> Jesus became sin so we could be made righteous. He became sick so we could be healed and healthy. He became a curse, so we did not suffer under the curse. He wore a crown of thorns of shame, so we would not carry shame. He was forsaken by God, so that we, God would never turn his back on us. He was scourged and beaten, so we could be healed. His body was broken, so ours could be whole. He suffered shame, so we no longer suffer shame. He was punished, so we would not be punished. He died, so we could live. He went to to hell so we could go to heaven. He bore the wrath of God against sin so that God would not pour his wrath on us. He hung on a cross for a crime he did not commit so we would not have to hang on our own cross of guilt and shame. In closing, I just want to read uh, something. I just feel like it has just empowered me to see through the lens of what uh, God did through Jesus. It was just about three weeks ago, I was kind of in that half-awake state. It's usually right around 4.30 in the morning. I'm not sure why God does that. He wakes me up about 4.30 in the morning, and I literally felt like the Holy Spirit was sitting next to my bed reading to me. And I was just kind of half-awake, and I was just listening and the words were so sweet and then he stopped and he said Karen get up write the words I'll give you the words so I'm going to read the words two and a half hours later I was still writing but I believe that I can speak this kind of summarizes everything that we've just talked about and hopefully it'll add the things that I didn't talk about <laughs> and complete the story. So I'd like to read this to you, and then we're going to go to the cross. Through Adam and Eve's one sin, the whole human race had fallen. Adam and Eve surrendered their rightful God-given authority to Satan, who was now the ruler of the world. Mankind had fallen under a curse, opening a door for Satan to steal, kill, and destroy with every kind of evil, hatred, sickness, jealousy, murder, because the light of life had been snuffed out. Mankind was doomed to live forever in the darkness of their own hearts, separated from God by their own sin. Instead of enjoying life with God, Adam and Eve would hide from God in their guilt and shame. 
There was no hope for mankind. There was nothing Adam and Eve could do to undo the power of death and destruction that was now set in motion. At the moment mankind fell, there was a shift in the heavenlies. All of heaven paused. Something was different. Something had changed. Where the light of life once shone, there was now darkness. But also, at that very same moment, God immediately set a rescue mission into motion. From the headquarters of heaven, Father God called an emergency meeting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father turned to Jesus and with great sadness reported, because of sin, we are now separated from the very people whom we have created and loved. My people have been kidnapped by their own sin and are being held captive by Satan's lies and deception. We must rescue them because I cannot and I will not tolerate this separation for eternity. I love them too much to allow them to remain in captivity in their sinful condition. Satan is holding mankind hostage, but we, Jesus, we will pay the ransom that sin demands. Sin entered into this world through a man. Sin must be defeated by a man. The demand of sin is death. The ransom can only be paid by the blood of a sinless, perfect man. When the time is right, Jesus, I'm sending you as an ambassador from heaven to the earth. You must take on human flesh, be born as a baby, grow to be a man who will complete the task set before you. Restore my kingdom on the earth. Restore relationship with my people. Pay the ransom. Defeat the devil once and for all and set my people free from his power. Your time on earth will be short, but it is up to you to save the entire human race. You will live the same life as the people on earth, facing the same temptations as they, only without sin in thought, word, or deed. You must live a perfect sinless life in an imperfect sinless, sinful world, but you must do this without any advantages, rights, or powers belonging to you as God. You must only do what you see me do and say only what you hear me say, for I will always be with you, my son. You will be loved by those who recognize you as their long-awaited promised Messiah. Demonstrate my heart of love for my people wherever you go. Jesus, heal the sick, mend the brokenhearted, raise the dead. But despite the miracles and truth you will bring, you will be hated by those who do not even know me. They will reject you because they reject me. They will wrongly accuse you, abuse you, and sentence you to die a painful, shameful death nailed to a Roman cross. They will believe they are destroying you by sentencing you to die. But I will take their hatred and turn it into their salvation. Sin must be punished, for I am a just God. My desire is for a relationship to be restored by removing sin as far as the east is from the west. I desire that all be saved. I do not delight in the death of anyone. Sin must be judged. Blood must be shed. Someone must die, for the wages of sin is death. You will be their substitute, Jesus, and receive the punishment they deserve. You will become all of the sin of the past, present, and future, even though you will not have any sin of your own. You will become sin, so my people will be made righteous. Sadly, I must turn my back on you, son, because the sin of the world will separate you and I until the blood ransom demanded by sin is paid in full. I must burn the fullness of my judgment and wrath and anger upon you. For if I do not judge sin, I am not a just God. 
but I will no longer be angry with my people when that punishment is complete. And you will receive it on their behalf, the innocent suffering for the guilty, for I do not desire to punish the people whom I love. Carry their shame, receive their guilt, and their condemnation. And you will not only become sin, but you will become sick. You will become sick so my people can be healed. When the punishment is complete and finished, I will declare them righteous, holy, and blameless before me. For through your death, Jesus, sin will be removed once and for all. Relationship will be restored. And then I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and remember their sin no more. Jesus, you will be buried in a tomb and Satan will dance on your grave. He will believe that he finally destroyed you. But after three days, I will breathe my breath of life in you and you will burst forth with resurrection power and crush the enemy's head, thereby defeating both death and the devil. Jesus, no one can take your life from you because you must willingly lay it down for those whom we love. Ultimately, you will be born to die because then and only then can the demands of sin be met. Sin came into the world through a man. Sin must be eradicated by a man. Jesus, you are that man. You are that Savior. You are the only way, the only truth, and the only life, the only hope to reverse the curse on mankind and restore right relationship with me. The weight of the world's sin is now upon your shoulders, Jesus. Do you accept this rescue mission? And Jesus answered in John 10, 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. This command I have received from my Father. And in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Can I have my friends come forward? On the day that Jesus died, the world showed its greatest hatred toward him. But Jesus was demonstrating his greatest act of love. But there's an accuser, just face me, accuser of the brethren, Satan, who's still trying to gain control. And only if you will believe his accusations can he have any influence in your life. But I'm just wondering if you've ever heard this voice before. You'll never be enough. You don't deserve to receive anything from God. You're disqualified because of what you've done. You should feel guilty. Why in the world would God want to forgive you? Or maybe you've heard this voice. You're not enough. You not only fail, you are a failure. No one in your family has ever succeeded. So why do you think you can? You're pathetic. How can you call yourself a Christian? You're broken. You're too broken. God cannot use you and you receive an identity of shame because you listen to the accusation then there's the voice of regret if only i would have prayed more then god would have answered my prayer if only i hadn't done this if only i had forgotten to do that and now i can't change the past all these bad decisions i've made i've ruined my life because my past failures and mistakes god must be so mad at me he must be so disappointed but God's promises come into play here. If you've heard that voice, this is your salvation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we take guilt and we throw it on the cross. 
and receive the gift of no condemnation, we say, Jesus, thank you that you took my guilt. Am I guilty? Yes, but you took it for me and declared me clean, righteous, and holy by your blood. And shame, I'm speaking to you. I throw you onto the cross where you belong. Thank you, Jesus. You bore my shame. I refuse to be defined by my past and my mistakes. I, my identity is not found in what I've done. My identity is because you call me righteous. I say not shame on me, shame off me because you removed it by your blood. And oh, regret. I can't change my past, but I can throw all of my past failures and mistakes onto the cross. And I refuse to be defied by my past sins, for your grace has erased my past and given me a future bright with hope. My past is washed in the blood of Jesus. Guilt, shame, and regret, you are now covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's how you are declared righteous in Jesus' name.